When I was in college, I took a road trip with several of my good friends, and we came out to Colorado on a ski trip. We drove from Arkansas here in one straight shot. We happened to drive through the night, which is probably not really smart, one of those college things you do. And uh, at some point in the middle of Kansas on I-70, sometime in the middle of the night, we all fell asleep, including the driver. And thankfully, Kansas is pretty flat. And uh, thankfully, when he woke up, he didn't try to pull the car back onto the interstate. We were off the interstate in the, you know, the grass. And uh, we were all fine. My parents' vehicle was mostly fine. Uh, he didn't drive the rest of the trip. And I don't think any of us slept in the car for any of the rest of the trip. But in the text that we're looking at this morning, the main point, the main command is to stay awake. In fact, in case we don't get it, Jesus gives the command three times. Stay awake. And we're going to talk this morning about what that means. What does that mean for us to stay awake? What does that look like? We're going to be encouraged to stay awake and not be like my friend on the middle of I-70 in the middle of Kansas. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark 13. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I am going to read verses 28 through 37, and this is the very inspired Word of God. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our time this morning in this passage. Help us, first of all, understand the text rightly so that secondly, we might apply it faithfully. I pray for those here this morning who might be sleepy. Some might be sleepy physically, and some might be sleepy spiritually. Use the time together to wake us up for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we said, we, we are in Mark 13, and we said this is clearly the most challenging section in Mark's gospel. Uh, one of the more challenging sections in the Bible, honestly. Uh, and uh, last week we said our passage divides nicely into kind of two sections. There was verses 14 through 23, and then there was verses 24 through 27. And we said that first section was primarily meant for us to look to the past, events that have happened in our past. 70 AD, destruction of the temple, taking of Jerusalem. And we said the second section, verses 24 through 27, are primarily meant for us to look to the future. They're about events that have not yet happened. They're about Christ's second coming. And this week, interestingly, we also, our passage divides into two different sections. There's verses 28 through 31, and then there's verses 32 through 37. And once again, I believe, based on my study in our passage over the past week or two, that that first section is primarily for us to look to the past and look at events that have already happened. 
And I think the second section is for us to primarily look to the future at events that have not yet happened. And so we are therefore going to follow the same categories that we used last week. So first of all, we're going to have a look to the past and talk about why it matters today. We're looking here at verses 28 through 31. Look at verse 28 with me. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus is using the illustration of a fig tree that everyone would have been familiar with. A fig tree at a certain time of year starts to produce life, starts to you know, grow, produce some growth, and when that happens, you know. Summer's around the corner. It's an exciting time of year when the grass starts turning green, and flowers start blooming, and unless you have allergies, you know, this is a glorious time of year. And Jesus is using this as an example. It's an illustration, which by the way, just sort of an aside for those of you who teach, it's a good reminder to use illustrations. Jesus used illustrations. If it was good enough for Jesus to illustrate points, we probably ought to also. You know, if a, I heard it said like this. I like this. A point worth making is a point worth illustrating. If, if, if the point is worth it for you to make it and take the time, if you want to drive it home, you better illustrate it. Shed some light on it. Share an example. Tell a story. Do something to help drive home the point. Jesus thought illustrations were worth the time. So who would we be to say, you know, we're, we're sort of above that, right? Now here's the question. What is his illustration illustrating? Look at verses 29 and 30. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now here is the huge question before us this morning. This is the million dollar question. When he says these things in verse 29, and then in verse 30 he says all these things, what is he talking about? What is he referring to? What do these things and all these things refer back to? And if we conclude that they refer back to the immediate section that preceded this in verses 24 through 27, then we would have to say these things and all these things are a reference to Jesus' second coming. And therefore we would have to conclude that my interpretation here is wrong. So clearly I don't believe that. I believe that these things and all these things is referring back to verses 5 through 23. Now I'm going to share with you several reasons why I think that. But first of all, let me give a disclaimer. I'm not overly dogmatic on this. So if you disagree with me on this, that's fine. We can still agree to disagree, continue to have fellowship, no problem. All right. But I'm, I'm just sharing with you, based on my study over the past week or two, this is what I think is going on in the passage. Uh, so here's why I think these things and all these things in 29 and 30 are referring back to verses 5 through 23, and therefore 70 A.D. and the destruction of the temple. Okay. First of all, we got to consider the original context. How did we even get to where we are? Look back at the beginning of Mark 13. Jesus has just told the disciples, not one of these stones will be left on top of the other. The temple is going to be destroyed. This is concerning to the disciples. So they ask this huge, important question that we should always keep in mind for the rest of Mark 13. Look at Mark 13, verse 4. They say, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Do you notice the specific phrases that they use to ask Jesus the question? 
these things, all these things. Does that sound familiar? Have we seen that in our text here? When will these things be, and what will be the sign that all these things will happen? And Jesus proceeds in verses 5 through 23 to, to explain, to answer their question. Here's what to expect. Here's what's going to happen. Now, I think in verses 24 through 27, it's almost like a pause. It's almost like parenthetical. Now, after that, when the Son of Man returns, that's a future event. But now he's coming back to the original question. He's coming back to what he was talking about in 5 through 23. And the first reason why I think that is because he comes back to using these specific phrases. These things, all these things. Letting us know, I'm going back to the original question in verse 4. Here's the second reason why I think he's returning to talk about 70 A.D., events in our past. Because he uses the language of you. He's talking to the disciples. You. That's the language he used in verses 5 through 23. You need to be ready. You need to leave Jerusalem when you start to see these things happening. You. And now he's coming back and he's using that language again. Verse 29, when you see these things happening. But notice in verses 24 through 27, he got away from the language of you and he starts talking about they. Right? When they will see the Son of Man coming, verse 26. Not you. Not you disciples. You won't see the Son of Man coming. That'll be in a different generation. When that generation sees the Son of Man coming, when they see it, and by the way, that word generation leads me to my third reason why I think uh, he's coming back to talk about primarily the events of 70 A.D. Look at verse 30. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. When Jesus says this generation, what's he referring to? The most natural, the most literal, the most straightforward way to take this generation is this generation. These people who are alive right now. I think he's saying, you guys, this generation, you will not die before these events take place. What events? The destruction of the temple, 70 A.D. By the way, that, that's the way he uses that phrase, this generation, throughout the rest of Mark. You go back to Mark 8, two times he says, this generation. What's he talking about? This generation. Th those who are alive at the time that he's speaking. Now I can imagine someone sharp among you uh, might be saying, wait a minute now, verse 29 says, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. Surely he is a reference to Jesus, and if he is a reference to Jesus, then that has to be talking about Jesus' second coming. Right? And I would say, you're right, if he is the right translation. But this is where you're going to have to just trust me, all right? In the Greek, the Greek word esten is the verb. The subject is not supplied for us in the Greek. In the Greek, it doesn't say he or it. It's, it's, it's a third person singular. And so we are left to figure out what is the subject. Well, how do we do that? You just flip a coin? No, context. It's always context. Context determines what the subject is. Is it he is near or it is near? I'm arguing it is near. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm in the good tradition with some other good translations, such as the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the NIV. They all say it like this, verse 29. When you see these things taking place, you know that it is near at the very gates. And so for these reasons, I think he's primarily referring here to the events that are in our past. So here's a summary of what I'm saying. If you didn't follow any of that, that's okay. Here's a summary of what I'm saying. All right? 
Jesus uses an illustration. When the fig tree starts to produce life, you know summer's right around the corner. In a similar way, when you start to see these things happening, namely, remember what I just told you in verse 14, the abomination of desolation, the one setting up in the temple who doesn't belong there. When you start to see these signs happening, you know that it's near. The temple's about to fall. Therefore, what's the point? Therefore, you need to get out of Jerusalem. You need to leave town. Don't take your stuff. Don't go get your stuff. Don't go get your coat. Leave town. Get out. And Jesus concludes with this, verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, Jesus says, guys, you can trust me. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. My word stands. My word stands forever. He's using the language of Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus is making a bold claim here. This is a claim to deity. He's using the language of God. My word stands. My word doesn't fade. The, the, the earth might fade away, but my words do not fade away. Therefore, you can trust me. Trust me. Don't trust the false Christ and false prophets, verse 22, who come along telling you, it's happening, it's happening. No, listen to me. Listen to the sign I gave you. The abomination of desolation and so forth. Listen to me. You can trust me. By the way, trust is a really hard thing these days. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. We don't trust our leaders. We don't trust politicians. There's just a general lack of trust. There's a lack of trust in authority. People don't trust teachers. People don't trust police officers. And by the way, when you have an entire society and nobody trusts anybody or anything, nobody trusts institutions, nobody trusts schools, nobody trusts churches, nobody trusts anything, when an entire society, when nobody trusts anybody, that's a recipe for an undoing of society. And I think that's the recipe we're looking at right now. We are looking at an undoing as nobody trusts anybody. Nobody trusts the media. We have to have fact checkers for the media. And then we have to have fact checkers for the fact checkers. Right? It wasn't that long ago, uh, broadcast journalist Walter Cronkite in the 60s and 70s was referred to as the most trusted man in America. Can you imagine a broadcast journalist today being considered the most trusted man in America? Right? I don't think that's going to happen on our watch. I don't think that's going to happen in this generation, right? where we have a, a broadcast news journalist that we call the most trusted person in America. We, I might trust him, but America... Right? Now, what, what am I getting at here? What's the point? Here's the point. That same distrust that you will find virtually among all people today right now, especially in our country, that distrust, that basic distrust, unfortunately also leads to a general distrust of the Christian faith and the church and Jesus. And perhaps some of you this morning are skeptical about Jesus. How can I really trust Him if I can't trust anyone or anything else? Right? Or maybe you know somebody, a family member, a friend, who's just kind of, you know, just skeptical. How can I trust? Well, here's what I want to submit to you this morning. One way we can trust Jesus is we can look at his track record. He has a proven track record of making promises and predictions and telling us what's going to happen, and then those things happen. It's incredible. Let me just point out three things that Jesus predicted, promised, told us what happened, and then they happened. First of all, the fall of the temple in 70 AD. It happened. That's the big major point of Mark 13. Second, Jesus predicts his coming death. And not just generally, like I'm going to die. But 
he predicts it with very with a lot of specificity, and he does it multiple times. Look, for example, with me at, back at Mark ten, verses thirty three and thirty four. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Wow, that's a lot of very specific details. But guess what? That's how it happened. And he goes on in that passage, and then he says, and after three days he will rise. Jesus predicted he would rise three days later from the grave. Not only predicted that he would rise, that'd be as if that's not enough, but predicted it would happen on the third day. And it did. All the historical documents we have from the original eyewitnesses indicate that this is in fact what happened. So what's the point? We have great reason, historical evidence, testimony, eyewitness, firsthand account of, of claims that Jesus made. Powerful, bold, miraculous type of claims. And they happen. So what's the point? Therefore, we can trust Him for those promises that He's made that have not yet been fulfilled. Like what? What are some examples? Let me give you one. John 14.3 Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am you may be also. Jesus is telling us here, I'm preparing a place for you or I have prepared a place for you. I will come again to you and I will take you to be with me where I am. Wow. We can trust Him in that. We can take His word for it. The, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. He will come again. He will return for His people. He will gather us up. Put your trust in Jesus. You can trust Him. He's given you great reason to trust Him. Now let's transition and look to the future and talk about why it matters as we look at verses 32 through 37. Look with me in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So now I believe Jesus is transitioning and talking about something slightly different than what He's been talking about. Say, well, why do you think that? First of all, the word but. But, now I'm talking about something new. If that's all I had, that wouldn't be very strong. But here's the second argument that I think makes it really strong. He now is talking about something that he says, I don't know when this is going to happen. The previous thing I just told you about, the destruction of Jerusalem, I know it's happening, and it's going to happen in this generation. He's very specific. He's very clear. It's going to happen in this generation. I know that, Jesus says. But now I'm talking about something else, Jesus says in verse 32, and I'm talking about something that I don't know when it's going to happen. I know the first thing will happen in this generation. The second thing, my returning, I don't know. And let's just pause and say, that's amazing that Jesus, A, doesn't know, and B, tells us He doesn't know, and then C, the Gospel writers write it down and tell us that he said he didn't know. Wow. This is coming right on the heels, by the way, in verse 31 of him telling us his word will never fade away. Claim of deity. My word will not fade away. I'm God. I speak the word of God, Jesus says. Verse 26, he, he's, he's the son of man from Daniel who's going to return on the clouds. And power and glory. So he's, he's not 
He's not not claiming to be God. I would argue he is claiming to be God in this section. So it's amazing that he says, I don't know when that day comes in the future when I'm going to return for you. How can he say that? The answer is because he truly is one of us. He's like us in every way yet without sin. And he's limited in his human knowledge. As a baby lying in the manger, there's things he doesn't know. There's things he has to learn in school and from his mom and dad. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now, am I therefore saying that he's not God? Of course I'm not saying that. We would affirm what the church has historically affirmed, that, that, that Jesus is one person. He's one person. And in that one person, he uniquely has two natures. Unlike anyone else, he has two natures. The first nature is a divine nature. He's God, fully God, always has been, always will be. So even that baby lying in that manger as God is holding the whole world together and knows all things. But as man in his humanity, he's limited, especially in his earthly ministry. He's limited and he has to learn and there's things he doesn't know. How exactly did these two things go together? I don't know. It's a miracle. I would say it's the greatest miracle of the Bible. And the thing that should stand out to us the most is the fact that he humbled himself and willingly took on this human nature. He's always had the divine nature. He had the prerogative to reject the the mission, but he accepted the mission and humbled himself and added to himself human flesh. Therefore, in his humanity, limiting what he knows and 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 being making himself available and able to actually die as man. Wow. But the, the point here is, he says, I don't know. And he also says, the angels don't know. And then in verse 32, he says, no one knows. No one knows. And in case we think, well, maybe I fall outside that category of no one knows. Two more times, verse 33 and verse 35, he says, you do not know. So three times in this passage, Jesus says, you don't know. So the next time you have that friend or that family member who says, oh, this is it, this is it. Did you see the news last night? Did you read the headlines? This is it. You know, can I quote Jesus to you? You don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And if you really want to be snarky with them, say, you want to put your money where your mouth is? Why don't you give me the money in your savings account? Because you don't need it. You don't need a savings account. What are you saving for? This is it, right? Don't be snarky. Don't do that. I like how our doctrinal statement says it. Let me quote our doctrinal, our church's agreed upon doctrinal statement about these things, the Baptist faith and message. Uh, I like how it says it. And by the way, everything I'm saying here is 100% consistent with our doctrinal statement. I'm trying to be as consistent as I can. I'm trying to be accurate to God's Word first and foremost. And my interpretation of God's Word is consistent with our doctrinal statement. So it's at the bottom of your sermon notes. God, in His own time, and in His own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to His promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. One of the aspects of this doctrinal statement and one of the aspects of our passage before us is the uncertainty of when. We do not know. Three times Jesus says, you do not know. One of the main themes of our passage is the uncertainty of the fact that we don't know. 
But at the exact same time, one of the major themes of our passage is the certainty that it will in fact happen. So the uncertainty of when is not supposed to lead us to apathy. We could say, well, we don't know, nobody knows, therefore let's just do what we want to do. No, you don't know, therefore you are supposed to live and act as if it could happen any moment because it can. The uncertainty doesn't lead us to apathy, the uncertainty leads us to be prepared. And that's the main point of the whole passage. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Look at verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. You don't know, so therefore, be on guard. You don't know, so therefore, keep awake. That command, be on guard, is the main command of Mark 13. We see it three times. Look back at chapter 13, verse 9. But be on your guard. Verse 23, but be on guard. Verse 33, but be on guard. Also, this phrase, keep awake, I would say is the main command of our particular passage this morning. Four times we see keep awake. Three times it's an imperative. Verse 33, keep awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, therefore stay awake. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And once again, guess what Jesus does? He doesn't just say, I'm telling you stay awake, therefore stay awake. He tells a story. Why? To drive it home. It's so important, I'm going to tell you a story, Jesus said. Imagine a man who owns a house, maybe like a personal business, that he has servants, they work for him, and he leaves town, and he says to him, guys, I'm leaving. But I realize that in my leaving, you might be tempted to just kind of goof off and not do anything. So I'm telling you, I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I better find you guys acting right and doing what you're supposed to do and having done the job you're supposed to do. And I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back. I could come back tomorrow. I could come back next week. I could come back next month. I could come back in the middle of the night. I could come back in the morning. The point is, guys, you better be ready. You don't know when I'm coming back. And that's similar to what Jesus is saying here. We were visiting at the grandparents' house over Christmas. And I think I was watching a ball game, and my kids and the cousins came in, and they had discovered the fireworks left over from this past summer. Can we shoot the fireworks? Oh boy, that's the last thing I want to do is go outside and the cold and shoot fireworks. And so, but also, you know, they were excited and it's cousin time. And so I start thinking through all the, I have to go back to kind of fireworks mode, you know, which I thought I could only have to do in the summer once a year. But now I'm having to put that hat on again. What are the, what are the rules that regulate the shooting of fireworks? You know, the first one that comes to my mind is don't shoot each other. And then I start thinking, uh, wait, 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 and also don't shoot the animals. You know, there's animals around. But don't shoot the animals. And I'm like, well, there could be cars driving up. Don't shoot cars either. And then, it, and then uh, don't shoot houses. Actually, just don't shoot anything. You know, like, don't, you can't shoot them at anything. All right, all right, Dad, can we go? And I'm like, I know there's got to be more. <laughs> you know, I just hadn't thought about shooting fireworks in a while. Um, oh, yeah, don't hold them in your hand and light them while you're shooting. Like, put them where they're supposed to go, light them, and then run away. Okay, okay. Is that it? And I'm you know, just racking my brain. I know that's not it. And uh, you know, if you light it and it doesn't go off, don't come up and start looking at it. You know, <laughs> Kick it over, smash it in the ground with your foot. Be smart. Okay, can we go? Can we go? I said, yeah, but here's the thing. I am going to come out there really soon to see if you guys are acting right and doing, thing, doing right, even the things I didn't tell you, because I know that's what they'll do. 
they'll do something ridiculous and they'll come back and say, well, you didn't say we couldn't stand on the roof and shoot them off. <laughs> so I said, look, I'm going to come if I see you doing anything that you know I wouldn't want you to do, the fireworks are over. And I'm not telling you when I'm coming. It could be two minutes from now, five minutes from now. But just know that dad is near and he's coming soon. And you live in such a way and you act in such a way that proves and reveals you know that. Right? And I think that's very similar to what Jesus is saying here. You don't know when I'm coming back. That could lead you to say, well, we can do whatever we want. No. I'm coming back at any moment, Jesus says. Therefore, live right. Do right. Do what you're supposed to do. Be prepared so that when I come, you're ready. That's the point. Matthew's parallel account is very interesting. Let's, let's turn together. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 42. In Matthew's parallel account, Jesus uses the illustration of Noah, the example of Noah. Look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus says you have all these people in Noah's day who were living like they wanted to, didn't listen to the, to, the, to the warnings. And what happened? God's judgment came. And when God's judgment came, it swept them all away. They couldn't stand under the judgment. They were swept away. They died. Except for Noah and his family. They remained. They, they stood up under the judgment. They, 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 they were left behind. Right? And he says in verse, at the end of verse 39, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is what it'll be like when the Son of Man returns. It'll be similar. Look at verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken away and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, there's a very popular way of interpreting these verses that is based largely on a fictional book series that suggests you, want, you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be one of the ones left behind. But I would submit to you, that's not the point Jesus is making here in this passage. You read the passage closely, Jesus is saying, you do want to be left behind. The Greek word there is remain. You want to be one of the ones remaining. In Noah's day, the judgment came. What happened? The, the evil ones were swept away under God's judgment. They didn't stand. Noah and his family remained. They were left behind. They stood up under God's judgment. Verse 39, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come. There will be a judgment. Many people will be swept away under the judgment. Many people will not be able to stand in the judgment. You want to be one of the ones who remain. You want to be the one of the ones who are able to stand under the judgment. And you can. The good news is you can. But you've got to keep awake. You've got to keep on guard. Let me ask you this question. 
If you knew with certainty today that Jesus was returning within the next 24 hours, what, what would you make sure you needed to do within that time frame? If we somehow knew, if we had an audible voice from God right now saying, I will return within 24 hours, and we were confident it was God, you say, what would you do over the next 24 hours? Right? So some of you say, I would really need to make sure that I'm right with God. I'm not 100% sure I'm right with God. I'm not 100% sure I'm ready for His return. Some of you may say, I, I have some sins I would need to confess and spend a little time with the Lord. Some of you may say, I have this one person in my life that I'm pretty confident is not ready. And I would want to go plead with that person to make sure they're ready. Some of you may say, you know, there's this person in my life that we used to be close, my family member, my friend, and today we're not. We're just, we had this issue happen, and I, I need to go get right with them, go get reconciled with them. Here's what I would encourage you to do today. Whatever you would do if you knew with certainty Jesus was returning in the next 24 hours, that's what I would do Like when you leave here. So, so for, for those of you who say, I need to get right with a, another person, there's this person in church, person at home, person, I need to, as soon as you leave here, get on the phone and call them and say, we need to get right. I need to live in such a way that reveals I'm ready when Jesus returns. Right? Some of you may have a, a person on your heart that you're burdened for. You're just not sure if they're ready. Today's the day to go follow up with them. Say, the Lord laid you on my heart this morning at church, and I just feel like I need to tell you, I'm confident that I'm ready for when, I, when my time here comes to an end. Are you confident? Can I share with you how you can be? And some of you may just need to get right with God. There's a certainty that Jesus is returning. You're not certain that you're ready for that day, but you can be. How? It's simple. Just take God at His Word. You're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God and will lead to your death, eternal death, judgment. But God has provided the solution to your problem through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, and God raised Him up from the grave. So if you will simply look to Him and believe on Him and trust in Him, you can be right with God. You can be spared the coming judgment. You can be ready for that day when Jesus returns. Make sure this morning... You're trusting in Jesus so that you're right with God, so that you're prepared. Make sure you stay awake. Let's pray.